Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Agents of Hope podcast. Um, today I'm really excited about this episode. Uh, we're going to be um, discussing one of my favourite um, frameworks that I've ever used. That's the Planning Alternative Tomorrow's with Hope framework. It's got hope in the title, as does this podcast. And I'm really um, honoured to have the guests of Colin Newton to come and talk to um, us about this framework. So welcome, Colin. Would you just like to give the um, listeners an, an introduction to who Colin Newton is and, uh, and what, the, what you do at the moment? Hi, Tim. How lovely to be here. So thank you so much for, for uh, inviting me to join you on these podcasts, which I know are getting a lot of traction out there. Um, I keep meeting people who said, oh, yeah, have you heard this podcast? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to being on one myself. <laughs> so that's been great. So, yeah, I'm Colin Newton. Um, I've been this year, I think I've been 36 years an educational psychologist. Nice. And um, I've about just coming up about one more year off, um, one year off, 20 years of being co-founder and director of Inclusive Solutions. I set up with Derek Wilson. Mm-hmm. And uh, prior to that, I was principal educational psychologist of Nottingham City uh, for about three years. And before that, Nottinghamshire, before that, Essex Psychology Service, before that, Newcastle, which mm. is where you are now. That's where I sort of did two years. So right. that's kind of kind of where I am now. Based, so based, still based in Nottingham, but traveling around across the UK, pretty mm. much doing whatever I can, wherever I can, uh, around inclusion, around inclusive education, uh, challenging behavior, mental health, emotional, emotional and behavioral, mm-hmm. however it gets named really, um, anything to do with inclusion. And really, I suppose my, you know, my main thrust of my work and my kind of passion has been trying to find processes that would make the inclusion of young people in mainstream schools be possible. And I think that's where, that's where I met Path along the way. More that okay. So what, what came first? Was it um, I- inclusive solutions or was it the, the processes? It was a passion for inclusion. That's what came first. Okay. Um, so kind of way back, you know, when I was training sort of like mid eighties, um, obviously inclusion wasn't a word being used. Integration was, was the kind of the flavor of the mm. time. Um, but as the years went on um, in my practice, I'd, I'd, I've been very focused on integration. Um, um, but um, it was it was it was pretty kind of tough in many many ways. And there was a, when I moved to Nottingham, there was a lot of permanent exclusions going on. And um, kind of early by the very early nineties, we were exposed to um, the, the kind of inclusion movement. Jack Pierpoint, Marshall mm-hmm. Forrest. We were lucky enough to host conferences in Nottingham um, together with Jerv Laden and Derek Wilson. We we hosted these kind of national conferences on inclusion and got exposed to these guys from Canada and North America, giving up just full welly on inclusion really. And mm. really powerful, really sort of like kind of burned you. If you're sitting on the front row, you kind of felt a bit, but some people couldn't bear it, would walk out, it was just too strong. Oh, okay. um, it was, you had a very sort of powerful kind of impact. And, um, but we were just, we just thought, you know, there's almost what we were wait, we'd been waiting to hear this, it felt. So by the, as I said, by the early 19, uh, 1990s, this is what we were waiting to hear. And it was basically, what are we doing here? You know, we should be fully embracing inclusion for all children, whatever their difficulties, whatever their mm-hmm. disability, whatever the challenge we have, if we put all the resources into one place, this is where we could begin. So, so we really got caught up with this. And um, as I say, I already had a bit of a passion around in- integration, as it would have been called, mm. brought that together. Um, and then really, we were just looking for processes, tools, things we could use to make this a reality. 
Now, fortunately, the same source, um, which was basically Jack and Marsha working out of Inclusion Press, they were able to provide us with some of these processes. And one of them was PATH, and one of them was MAPS, and one of them was Circle of Friends. And wow, okay. we so, so embraced those. Uh, but it, but the, because they were based in Canada, we only saw them quite rarely. Um, so in the middle of all that, maybe even before their first visit, we'd found these old VHS cassettes showing some of this work. And I think particularly mm. the Circle of Friends work, which we, kind of where we went first with our inclusion work, was just based on these old VHS tapes, interestingly, and just pamphlets and things they'd kind of written. And then when, when they came across, of course, then they were feeding us big time with these other approaches, such as Pat. So yeah. much, the values first, the tools second. Okay, yeah. And so to cast your mind back before, so what underpins that values? How did you get to those point of thinking that integration and then inclusion yeah. would be central to your practice? You know, Yeah, where did that instinct come from? Yeah, mm. I'm with you, Tim. It's very interesting. I mean, I'd started off as a primary teacher and... Um, and I'd done a lot of youth work around the, uh, the boys' brigade as well, kind of way, way, way back. Um, so the whole thing about communities and young people kind of being together in their local communities, doing stuff in organised ways. I'd love plays. Well, I did my dissertation on play. Um, so it was all very much about what should happen in the community, in, in situation. Um, within my extended family as well, um, there's, there'd been pressure to put one of my cousins in a special school, which had been resisted. Um, I had another cousin who was placed in a boarding school, absolutely hated it, got depressed, and was in a really bad place over it. And I think those kind of, those sort of things kind of stayed with me. Um, I've always, um, also I think I've had a very sort of, a strong set of Christian values as well. I've always been sort okay. of churchgoer. So, um, it, I mean, it's interesting, the hope word, of course, so in the Christian world, that's, it's always, it's been, um, you know, hope, faith, and either love or charity, you know, mm. those, those are the sort of three big centerpieces. So hope has always been important to me. I guess I've always been an optimist, you know, and I've always, that's always been very important, the kind of can do what's possible. I've always kind of looked for the, those kind of possibilities in my, always in my work. So I love building relationships with young people. When I was a mm. teacher, I loved that whole, that whole connection piece. And, um, and I think I kind of must have taken that into the profession with me because I instinctively didn't like these kind of moves to move, move children out into, into specialist settings very early on. I really mm. resisted that. So from my very first um, work um, in Essex, I was absolutely resisting that. I was absolutely pro keeping the uh, children in mainstream schools. So long before these other more, uh, even more interesting ideas, I remember the head of the local special school in Braintree, who maybe he's still alive maybe he might listen to this he described me as a prop mm. forward kind of with my arms folded blocking the entrance to his special school <laughs> he wasn't in yeah. but but to me it seemed the only the only right thing to be doing really and uh, this was post warnock of course the post warnock mm. report so there was a big push on the importance of integration kind of where possible but there was great big caveats there was plenty plenty in the profession still kind of moving children into special education um, mm. But not me, instinctively I didn't feel right. And I, and I found enough people to kind of connect with to make me feel not too, um, not too out on my own with that, that position. Mm. Yeah, and a, a lot of that is, uh, you know, resonating w w with kind of my experiences and I guess development of, of, of my values. Sure. Um, Pre-training to be an education psychologist, I was, you know, brought up in a Christian yes, household. Yes. My, my father's a vicar, well, was a vicar, he's just uh -huh. retired. Uh -huh. um, and um, 
you know, I kind of came out of university and went immediately into working in pastoral positions. Yes. Um, so being in schools, but really working alongside the development of, of people rather than learners. Um, and, 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 and being actively involved in that, in that inclusion, um, that inclusion process and, and kind of, um, thinking that it was certainly kind of flawed and there was a lot of kind of, uh, it's, it's not a cut and dry, um, process. Um, and it takes a kind of, it's a way of thinking, I think, um, rather than just a way of, of, of doing or, or having capacity within a school. Um, and that's what I guess education psychology and psychology has kind of really helped me to, to define and to, that's led to, I guess, different, different action, um, which I find path as a process helps mm -hmm. to facilitate, um, uh, those processes and coming to everybody who's involved at a place where they're they're at, rather than mm -hmm. doing to somebody. Absolutely, and that's the that's always been the beautiful thing to me about the path process. We're we're working with the young person. We're not doing yet another thing to them, and that's what I love when we learned the process that we were hearing about. Uh, that we were being encouraged to, you know, anything you do around a young person, you should have done to yourself. I mean, that principle, you know, mm. it's, it's so rare in our profession. You know, people have used psychometrics, they've used a whole range of, of kind of tests and procedures that, you know, they probably wouldn't want done to their own children or to themselves. But here was a process you had to have it done to yourself or with you before you can go anywhere near anybody else's children. I thought that's a fine principle for starters. And on yeah. the, inclusion, the inclusion point, um, it's become clear to me because inclusion has been such a kind of elastic kind of concept. People, have, yeah. I mean, people talk about, I, I include children in my special school. I mean, people will, will take that notion and stretch it to suit them in so many ways. But so um, what I loved about meeting with Jack and Marsha from, from coming out from Canada was they were extremely clear, clear what they're talking about. This was about mainstream education with the right supports, being present in your local mainstream school, and that we'd figure that out. You know, it wasn't, we weren't trying to include you somewhere else, we were including you where, where, you, where your peers would be, where other young people would be. Mm. I love that, and I've really locked onto that. That's my dream, that's my, I know we're not there by a long chalk as a society. We've got more children probably in special than ever before in alternative provision, but that's the direction I still passionately feel we should be following. Um, and I just, and I think the trouble is people get kind of gray around the edges about it, um, especially in our profession. You know, people wrap it up in all kinds of ways. But if we were absolutely clear, that's where we start. And so much could be achieved. So much could be achieved mm. around science. Mm. And, the, and the processes like PATH and like MAP and Circle of Friends and Circle of Adults, they're all facing that same direction of inclusion. Mm. Because that's okay. where the young person ends up when they leave school. You know, they might be, in, if they do go into special education, eventually they're gonna come into, into the mainstream world. Wouldn't it be better if we could keep them there? You know, we don't live in a world with special bus stops, special shops, you know, we live in communities. So mm. if we could get this, we could figure this out and, and, and really put all our resources in that mainstream world with a lot of flexibility we obviously could have lots of flexibility for some young people who can't be any kind of school setting but if we could figure that out we could get that direction right so much okay. more could be achieved okay I'm passionate so, about this, as you can tell too yeah abso absolutely absolutely as, as am i so for Good. people who are newer to planning alternatives tomorrow's with hope uh, or pass yes. as, as a framework what are the kind of under 
underpinning values behind it because you said that mm. um the 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 kind of pioneers in it came over from canada and other places and it was a kind of a firebrand this is the way we need to do things sure. so what would if you could distill some of those those values because i think they're possibly intrinsic to to some of the work and the values that are held now but yeah, if yeah, you could just of course, Jim, of course. So the uh, be interesting, actually, from our first impressions of it, might be worth sharing to start with as well. Mm. So when we first came across it, uh, the things that struck us straight away, wow, this is it's visual, big, very big, not just small, mm. like wall size, very visual, very colourful, um, but v highly participative. That's the bit that struck me, and I loved mm. about that, because I'd always been into drama, you know, from way back, that kind of interactivity. So I love this, the dramatic possibilities this level of engagement of young people um, family people professional people wide the, the involvement of that wider range of people in the young person's life as well i loved that there could be friends present you know you could have that uncle that that guy who runs the sweet shop that he's quite close to they could be in the room as well that range mm -hmm. of what gets called natural supports could be present and um, that really struck me the fact that you were coming out with this massive plan and it was the young person's plan it wasn't the professional's plan i love yeah. that as well who owns this it's the young person's and all i knew about the psychology of ownership and sitting the ownership with the you know with the, with the very people you wanted to own it i, I love that i mean i'd always been a big system psychologist in the 80s i was mm. i was all about what it does it take to change the system that was very much that kind of bob burden that kind of let's change the system let's change the whole school system so i've always been a big lover of systemic change and i thought that was the business of ed sykes as i say mm. back in the 80s um no question about it in my mind that's that's where we needed to aim um, we need to we'll work with staff obviously to train them um, but, but to really engage with, with leaders, with, with managers, middle managers and actual leaders of schools, primary and secondary. Mm. To me, that was the way forward around the whole special needs uh, agenda, really, if we're going to move yeah. standings on. So when I saw Path in Action, I'm thinking, well, this is interesting. This is focused on the young person. And mm. yet, look at the wide range of people involved in this. Yeah. I'm starting to think, well, actually, this is making me think you can bring about wider change here, focus on an individual. Um, and at the same time, I'd been, I'd been working in Nottingham Shear Service under the leadership of Tony Descent, uh, who'd written this sort of seminal work called Making the Ordinary, Ordinary School Special. Now, mm. this absolutely fantastic book about resource drift, drifting away from special needs, about the right to the ordinary school. I mean, that's really kind of radical notions, really. You know, so it might not be a fantastic school, but it's, it's your local school, it's ordinary, you have a right to be there kind of piece. Um, fantastic principles. I, I couldn't have worked for somebody better. He brought in a big move towards inclusion in Nottinghamshire called Children First. Massive move. So whole school systemic change. Um, but so, so I was kind of, I was exposed to his kind of thinking as well around this. And I think the things go less, and he was very much about one, if you can bring big changes around one child, there's kind of a big impact as, as well as <laughs> changing the system. So I kind of started thinking, you know, well, maybe I need to revisit this a bit really and get back to the individual. But if this is, we could do this kind of way of planning with them, this kind of person center planning around them, I could see bigger changes possible. And then of course, when I discovered you could use this for whole school staffs, or whole services or multi-agency teams bringing people together and using the same processes of path or map well even more exciting really even more hopeful for kind of possibilities of change um, yeah. literally have everybody together but i was talking to you i, I was going to talk to you about the values that you asked about the values didn't yeah you? 
um, I was, that was the, the immediate things that struck me were along those lines. Um, but the values, well, it was the, um, what John O'Brien calls the five service accomplishments. Um, okay. Now he's one of the, one of the co-creators of Path, as you know, um, okay. but he talked about the importance of contribution, uh, choice and control, sharing ordinary places, being someone and, and belonging as being the five service contributions. So in other words, if services were doing a good job, those five would come to, come to life. And we've mm. since come to call those ordinary needs because they're like okay. five pieces that we all kind of need to have in our lives. Um, or even the five dimensions of inclusion because it feels that they're that important really, to be able to contribute, to have choice and control over your world, to be mm -hmm. out in ordinary places, not just special places, to have a sense of identity, to be someone and to belong and have enough love and relationship in your life. Um, so I think they are to, still to me, they are the key underpinning values when, when mm. you use path um, or map. They are, they're the pieces that should really light up. Um, but it really, it's the, it's the broad, this back to this broad value of inclusion, really, and what that really means. Um, I mean, that's one way of kind of unpacking it. Um, but if this was, if we could come up with a plan that made it more likely you stayed in a mainstream school or in a mainstream community, or that when you left your special setting, you landed more in a mainstream space, mm. um, then I thought, well, that's that's bang on the money for me. That's that's fantastic. So that value just lit up, and then I cause then when you look at it more even more closely, you see these other beautiful values which mm. fascinated me because what the fascinating thing about this was these guys weren't psychologists. You know, okay. one had worked in the prison service, this chap, chap here point, and had learned graphics and stuff somewhere. I'm not quite sure where. And Marsha. Forrest, now she was an educator and she was an academic in New York, very feisty academic. Mm. Um, John O'Brien had a big background in kind of the social, what we call the social care world now. None of them were educational psychologists. Um, they were, so they, I mean, it's, it's very interesting because when you then analyze the psychology going on in that path process, well, it just, sometimes mm. you instinctively know, don't you? I can remember as a parallel um, being introduced to restorative justice. Yeah. And it was from the Nottinghamshire police. And I thought, why don't I know about this? I'm a psychologist. Mm. Why are you telling me this for the first time ever? And they were saying, yeah, we're very sick of these permanent exclusions coming out in, on the streets mm. of Nottingham. We keep having to pick them up. We're using restorative justice. What are you doing in your schools? I'm thinking, yeah, what are we doing? Why aren't we using this? Yeah. So I have to say quite soon after, I really got into that because that was fascinating to me. But I think Path was similar. Here we are learning a process, you know, which which was completely new to us. It looked really inclusive, so that was fantastic. Mm. When, you, when you got deep into it, what were you seeing? You were seeing skilled facilitation. You were seeing active listening. I mean, really, really deep listening. Mm. You were seeing um, the encouragement of straight talk. I really like that about it. Direct talk, yeah. honest talk. Talk you would never get in our usual meetings, you know, sitting mm. around tables with big files and all that. Not, never touching it. This was straight, honest talk with this 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 dream <laughs> at the start which i gotta say again i was gobsmacked when that word dream first mentioned that dream dream yeah around a yeah, child yeah. with a disabled child a child with complex needs we're gonna dream around them really so mm. <laughs> to this day i'm still i'm still amazed by how what a fresh surprise that was really to be doing that mm. that's dream and of course as soon as you start dreaming that beautiful word hope comes through you know and i'd always been a hopeful person mm but struggled sometimes in our special needs work to bring that hope, hope to bear, you know. Um, yeah. I was I probably, if you'd have asked me back in the 80s, um, early or mid, I'd probably said, 
positive. We've got to be positive in our operations. Mm. Um, I was never a behaviorist. I, I mean, I could I would draw some pieces, but I always held back. But I, what I would say is, we have to be positive. We have to be practical in our yep. in anything any pragmatic stuff we do. It's got to be positive. But this was a whole other level. When you bring hope in, <laughs> you yep. you really are at another level here. And that, yeah. and that was clearly coming through the path process. So it was starting with massive aspirations. It was grounding down to these kind of set, setting these goals in the next year, which I loved. Um, it was quite real in the conversations about what was actually going on in the now. Mm. I love the way it was taught in, in kind of encouraging people to sign up and to join to be part of this. Um, and then we were talking about strength, which oh, that's an interesting thing to talk about. Mm. And then we're, and then of course, we were action planning. So every element I just loved. And it struck me, you could apply so much psychology in it. You could, you yeah. could um, you know, sort of group psychology, what do we know about groups, about groups cohesing. I mean, that work I've done around managing change in schools and, and setting objectives for school stuff, really the underlying psychology of that seemed to be if you could aspire with leaders and name their objectives with them and get them to agree to them, they kind of magically happened. It just mm. seemed to happen. Um, but it was much duller what we were doing then. We were just simply saying, name the objective. Well, we will yeah. have a program set up for all our children with special needs in the next, next year or something. You know, it's just, it was mm. really exciting stuff. And yet it somehow seemed to, stuff seemed to happen really. Um, yeah. So interesting with the path process, you know, you have these, the massive dream, you set these goals, they happen, you know, things get yeah. achieved. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you've touched on, a number of things there that really have been really powerful about the path process for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the first thing was psychology that you'd apply to yourself uh, and, and do with people rather than do to people. I mean, I, yes. I use a path process for almost all of my planning. I do it at the start of every kind of academic year to plan my goals for those times. Um, and for my thesis writing, um, I, I generally, um, I, I like you say. I, I tend to to really focus on those actions and get those done, yeah. um, which gives the you know the impression and perhaps there's some substance to it that I can be quite efficient when I put my mind to it and have those clear goals and know who I can draw upon the support from, and that it's linked to something meaningful. Um, but like you say, when I first looked at it, I said this is so. What, how I describe it, it's um, uh, pragmatism um, nested in transformativism. Um, it has both those things in tension with each other. Uh, and it's drawing upon the strengths there and looking to transcend the current situation. Yes. Um, so it really, you know, ticked all my boxes when I first looked at it uh, in terms of, you know, I came into the course really interested in in Frankel and um, meaning psychology and understanding, you know, more kind of, I guess, psychodynamic stuff around container contained, understanding somebody and responding appropriately. Yes. Um, uh, and I, I wasn't coming from a particularly psychological background. I'd done a history masters, uh, history undergrad, done a conversion course uh, and was re came out the conversion course very interested in um, community organizing approaches around mental health um, but I continue to work in schools um, what I'd struggled with was that a lot of people in 
you know, almost everybody that I'd come into contact with in my career journey had been well-meaning, but it seemed like the processes or the system was wrong for those things. And therefore you had this kind of perpetual hitting your head against kind of brick walls um, around in inclusion and, 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 and children being seen as, as people as well as learners. Um, and, and PATH seemed to just, um, it, it was what I'd been looking for in lots of ways, kind of a, a, an action inspiring, um, visual, um, participatory uh, process that, that could, that I'd be happy to be done with me and to apply to other people and something that, I, that was a useful psychological tool for me. Um, so yeah, lots of that, lots of stuff of, of that stuff is resonating. I'm wondering now whether it would be helpful just to establish for those people who've not seen a path, what it is and what are the, the stages of discussion around it. Just, be, just before we do that, I've just got, you're just making me think of something else I hadn't even mentioned mm. um, in terms of sort of the, my earlier thinking really. And, and it was when you mentioned Viktor Frankl and meaning, because I, I absolutely mm. loved the, that the search for meaning mm. and as an undergraduate i'd um i'd kind of push back a bit from the kind of the the, the this sort of pseudo-scientific paradigm of, of, of psychology mm. um so this is back sort of late 70s this is going way back really but there was a move especially among child uh, development psychologists to kind of question the paradigm big time and were there other ways of thinking and i really got into this of the whole philosophy of, of psychology as a science and what should we be trying to do and and i got really into these the well the search for meaning kind of um mm. as a kind of a thrust of psychology and, and what that would look like and I, I did a minor in anthropology which i was really drawn oh, okay. to because they are super big on participant observation you kind of enter mm. the situation you bring out the meaning um and then i discovered there was something there was a, a field of philosophy called hermeneutics um, mm. and it was a hermeneutic endeavor, which was absolutely about bringing out of ancient texts, really, the meaning that was within those texts. So I, I had this real, it was, I suppose, sort of naive kind of thought that maybe one day there would be hermeneutic psychologists, you know, and that was their job. Mm. They'd go around and they would be bringing the meaning out of situations. And I, so when I start off again, I'd actually tried to do that. I would enter, instead of just doing a sort of cold observation, making kind of notes and stuff, I would kind of get on the floor, play with the children, and then make notes of how that felt, what it kind of meant to me. So mm. it was a bit of the kind of qualitative research style, but kind of live as an applied psychologist, mm. I was trying to do. I mean, it was hard because of the, you know, how, how little time you have around each situation. But it was a big, uh, big influence on me. I have to say that, and interesting because it's in, I hadn't really put the two together. But now you're making the connection with path, how a lot of things kind of come together around meaning and context and stuff. Mm. Now you're saying that it's making me think maybe that's another reason I loved it so much when I first yeah because it is it is the whole context, it is the group, it is the meaning kind of coming through that absolutely makes sense within that meeting. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. yeah. And I think meaningful hope is is very different from just mindless optimism i mean i would never say that and anybody who knows me personally would probably not say that i'm a particular particularly optimistic person and i think this is why this is why i've become so interested in hope is that yeah. regardless if you're an optimist or a pessimist there is some relationship with hope and you know that's possibly Absolutely. something we'll talk talk a bit but certainly you know frankel and existential philosophers and psychologists you know they're huge influence on me and if we can make my view is that if we can make school a really meaningful place to be yes th then we've won a lot of the battle Absolutely. um 
you know, I've talked about before about, you know, lots of children when I was ahead of you saying school's like a prison for me. I was like, well, think of it like a shop, you know, you're here for a bit of time. You've got all these resources, which is mainly time and you can get what you'd like around what you'd like in your life. So I was having sort of, I guess, kind of existential conversations like what do you want to get from your life and how does English with Miss Collins help you do that? Um, and, and that seems to make the conversations more bearable rather than you have to do this now, um, which was my, yeah, my experience of, of school. And, you know, I found that my teachers tended to pull on the, the meaningfulness of not the, the literature, but of if you fail, this is how it's going to make you look. Um, so I've kind of I've come back into education to think, OK, we need to be more hopeful. Yes. Um, about how we're we're pitching stuff to to young to young people. So, Colin, you you spoke about a bit earlier about the Borwell vision. You asked me to remind you about it. Yes. So, could you just talk about that for a while? Yeah, it was. It, I just thought it was interesting, really. So, this is way before I'd come across Path. I wish I had come across Path at the time, but I'd come up with this. I I was telling you about this work we'd done and uh, and the book we'd written about managing change in schools. If you set objectives and negotiate them with school leaders, it, they tended to kind of meet these objectives. So, um, I kind of I'm thinking I was always loving the kind of systemic thinking. I thought, what about the community? Could you do something across a community? What would that be like? And uh, kind of woke up with it in the night, really. I don't know where it came from. Some dream in the night. And I woke up with it thinking, oh, we could do this. And I was working in an area of Nottingham City called Bullwell. It was quite a disadvantaged, mm. challenging kind of area. And um, there was a very high levels of exclusion, of, of abuse going on, and criminality, and non-attendance. And I said, we took those four and turned them into positive objectives for the community. You know, let's reduce the number of you know, increase the level of attendance, um, reduce the amount of abuse, and reduce the amount of crime, um, and so on. Just have these kind of four or five pieces. What would that be like? And who could I get on board? Now, being an Ed Psych, I, I knew a lot of the people in the local community. We created this kind of shared vision. And we had about 100 people kind of gathered in the end, just by word of mouth. And it became known as the Bullwell Vision. You know, this is okay. what we're trying to achieve. And by naming that with this local community, loads of people got on board with it. And we kind of edged in that direction. Um, and it became, eventually became a charity, actually. I kind of fell out a little bit later on. But okay. it, early doors reminded me of the power of a collective vision for a future, desired future, mm. is much more likely to happen. So I'd, I'd already encountered that before I met the path later on. Interesting, isn't it? Just create hope, mm. great stuff happens. Yeah, and, and it's making me think just in terms of practicalities. And lots of people thinking, okay, as we start to think about ways out of the kind of COVID-19 situation. Yeah. Schools, communities, systems are thinking, how do we be different? What is the new normal? And maybe that Borwell vision mm -hmm. is, is a schema for how people could, could be yeah. uh, and how people could talk to community. And I know that there's um, people thinking along those lines, but just thinking about um, that practical example, that's very helpful. But of course, I'd be into why don't we do some visioning around this now, wouldn't I? <laughs> let's yes. do some dreaming, let's do some goal setting. And uh, funny enough, in Nottingham, we've approached recently to do something similar. And I was mm. saying just that let's get people together. We don't have to do the whole path, but let's do dreaming and let's do goal setting because that will get a sense, a lovely sense of positive direction and some solid goals. Mm. So, can you, so do you sometimes do bits of the path mm. um, at, over different sessions? 
Or do, or do you think that the dreaming and the goaling part of it are particularly powerful yeah. in setting off action? Yes, you can. Uh, we found you can split off the dreaming and the goal setting. That's, mm. That can kind of work as a standalone piece. So if, if it was like a governing body trying to get a sense of direction, for instance, um, mm. or a community group trying to get everybody together, or the, or the young people just wanting to get the young people's views, rather than doing the whole path, that piece seems to work. But if you're doing some planning around a young person, it doesn't seem to work to break it and then come back again. People seem to lose the, the sense of, well, what was the dream again? And you try and say it out loud, it's lost the power of it, really. It's lost the pull. So we would always encourage people to do it in one go if you're going to do the full path. Mm. And, and would you say that with individuals or families that the full path is a better, probably better place to do that? And if you're working with an organisation too much, maybe harder to get everybody in the room for that two yeah, hours exactly exactly okay. and that probably has been the main reason to be honest just working within realistic kind of time frames for a lot and, and if it's a very large group but you but you want to get everybody on the same page just mm. doing the dreaming or the dreaming and the goal setting just seems to work really well mm. Mm. yeah yeah i mean that i, I mean i started uh using path with, with with organizations first and i found it helpful to do to chunk down the you know what's it what's the dream what what the goals um and i think what they found difficult at the start was the dream element of it yes um so i said okay have you got any let's start with something boring but do you have any policies around so i was doing it around um uh communication interaction needs in a um social emotional mental health provision specialist provision and they would talk about how can we make this more universal rather than being specialised with our speech and language. So I was between a Senko and and some speech and language therapists who were employed on site. Um, but they started part of the dream was okay, what's the policy, and then what do we actually want that to look like for the young people rather than it just being this two D um, thing. And that was quite helpful, um, and that built up a lot of momentum in between the sessions that I had. Yeah. So, is it okay now if we move on to absolutely, absolutely, what is path? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so this is a young woman. We're in Malta here, actually. We're a long way away. We have travelled far and wide with um, you know, with with working with people. Been very fortunate. Mm. Um, but this, so we were just demonstrating um, uh, for this, and it was a setting. Um, they had a lot, there was a lot of people involved. On they were care staff, a lot of them, and mm -hmm. we asked them to bring along one of the young women who they were working with, and we did. And this was Sarah, and um, this was her path. So it kind of it nicely brings out the steps. So she was a, a young woman, age sixteen. Um, the most chilling piece of this path is when she says out loud, I'll be surrounded by people who actually care. You can see that in her dream there. Of course, several were actually there who were carers. So that was quite mm. interesting. Um, but, um, but so anyway, here's the, here's the elements of a, of, a, of a path. So you've got on the far right, you have the dream. Um, and it really is, this, this is anything goes at all. And it always has the three themes of people, places, and activities that, okay. that's all the open they're the open pieces um to for people to dream about and um and we listen we encourage people to dream about those we often do kind of a visualization piece so people really kind of vision it very recently um well probably in the, just the last couple of years we've been asking people to not only close their eyes but picture they're looking across the water at twinkling lights on the other side of the mm. water um and 
and you might be interested where that came from. That was yeah. a combination from an Amy Winehouse song. Okay. You know, I go to the water, Valerie, I think it is. I go to the okay. water and, and, and picture the picture. And, and also the great, the last lines in the great Gatsby where he looks across and sort of, sort of romantic image of this sort of this twinkling kind of distant, um, distant island. So it was those two bringing them together, thinking this is actually quite, and it turns out to be very powerful. You know, getting people to stand and look across water at twinkling lights, and this open-ended dream of the future. If you could have it all, you know, nothing was holding you back, what would it look like? And then mm. tuning them in, depending who they are, what the situation is, to what the dream would look like. And then as we, and then we go back to the young person, we collect obviously what they're, what they're saying, um, what they really care about. We start with the young person, then we move out to the people who are closest to them, who they want to speak next, and then further out and further out. And then it's all recorded graphically, so hence the dream piece there. Mm. The, the kind of what look like old rocks at the bottom there, um, sometimes they're a bit more like bricks, but because we're on Malta, these were like sort of rocks on mm. the, by the seashore, where I think was what Derek had in mind there, really. You see, the, you see the values coming through. What's the most important values for the young person so that they're content, have a sense of security, she's stabilized financially, mm -hmm. um, wise choice, and so on. They're the big values holding, holding up the dream. Um, okay. Is this the level of detail you want, Tim? Or yeah, abso absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm learning, you know, this is, some of this is, is, is a bit new to me um, in terms of, you know, the, the rocks and what you're saying there. I felt when I've uh, facilitated PATH, I often find that the dream, although it seems like a uh, ethereal sort of big ask to ask somebody to think what the dream is, often it's really reasonable. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, the dream is very reasonable, and the new toy or something. You think, really? It's all you got for me? <laughs> yeah, but you know, for that, for me, um, like you say, when you were talking about the meetings not being sitting around with your files and all that sort of stuff, I often see the the hmm, okay, from from the teacher or from the senko. Oh, we could do that. Yeah. Um, that seems really reasonable. But they're not asking something ridiculous. So that's been really helpful to think about. Yeah. The, the the rocks and you know the the, the people places and activities yeah absolutely yeah. and in the way that we we're really inviting the ridiculous we, we kind of mm. really want those big 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 ideas really and if it's too grounded we'll work hard with them we'll push <laughs> them to give us more um so i mean and people still worry about that you know the when the young man with down syndrome at, at 15 says i want to be a policeman and you can see where you're going, oh, no, why did you ask him? Why did you ask him? That is unhelpful. You know, now he's going to be unrealistic for the rest of the time. But it's the follow-up question that makes it so rich, which is, mm. what does that bring you? What does that bring you, John? Oh, uh, uniform, helping people. Uh, now, now we're off. Where yes. can we find so we can wear a uniform and help people? And in that, in that mm. situation, there was the Loughborough Steam Railway place where they're always mm. dressing up, giving out leaflets, pointing to the cafe and such like. So it was really easy for us to line him up for, for something that really worked out well for him. So yeah. people still anxious about that. But we seriously, we're going to reach for the stars here. We've got to go big. Um, this is the very opposite of take a day at a time for parents. We're saying, absolutely, where do you want to see? What's the future looking like? Mm -hmm big time so so this is the dream and we can talk more about the dream but that's that's the main piece about the dream um which is full of hope and if it's not hopeful well we won't let anything go up that isn't hopeful actually i should say that quite mm. clearly if somebody starts to be negative in the dream we'll interrupt them so that's down to the facilitation and okay. all we have to do is say that's not dreaming tim sorry that's not dreaming hang yeah, on a second yeah. tim that's not dreaming you know really being quite pushy about it what's the yeah. dream 
or turn that on its head turn that into a dream i hear yeah. what you're saying turn that into a dream so sometimes we do a bit of that really so but that's all the facilitation but what's going to be recorded is just the dreams the main themes yeah. of the dreams so then we move to the the next piece um what was the original called sensing the goal sometimes mm -hmm. we just call it one year from now to keep it sim simple um positive and possible now these are memories um, because we're kind of doing some time travel so we usually do some we do a bit of dramatic stuff around time travel we mm -hmm. move a year in advance um, and then we look back over the year to see what could have been achieved that was positive and possible towards the dream um, and that's what you can see in this big circle here really in the big arrows are named specific things um, that are potentially look like they're possible so mm. five O levels done good results um, her confidence has gone right up um, she's got two new friends through work and we try and push for specifics in these memories because they are going to eventually become goals but initially they're memories they start okay. off as memories um, so depending on the size of the group this will be you know small groups kind of gathering to figure these out and then sharing back to the to the main group so even if you've got even if you're doing this around with families and around a young person you'd still do some splitting into smaller groups to, mm. to bring energy into into play on this um and then having established them as memories i usually kind of walk to the end of the graphic and look down this way and say look i can see the dream and now what were memories are now goals mm. and the graphic will kind of read them back as if they were goal statements so now we can see what we're aiming for as stepping stones towards the bigger dream um so and then we switched right from the from the future all that future talk to the yeah. now um, okay. and we have a, and we have a very honest conversation about what it's like now you know the facts and the figures of the now how it feels in the now we'll also talk about how it feels in the future and explore the stretch the emotional stretch mm. between the future feelings and the present feelings and, mm. and get the young person out often and um we play around in jack pierpoint towards this to play around with an elastic band really to literally hold elastic band physically get the young person on one end somebody on the other or somebody who represents now somebody who represents the future mm. play around with what can happen around the stretch between the present and the future okay um so yeah, um, yeah. And then, uh, so then, so we've recorded the facts and figures of the now and the feelings. We then explore um, who needs to be with us um, to get towards the future. This can be quite a moving part of the process. Uh, the young person with or without spoken language is encouraged to invite people within the room who they'd like to be part of the team to go mm -hmm. with them into the future. Um, so they come up, they sign up. Um, and then we consider who's not in the room, who needs to be, who needs to be signed up for the future, um, mm -hmm. and consider if there's any clues in the goals or the the dreams for people, roles that we might need in the who will need with us. Oh yeah, we need somebody who knows about motorbikes. Oh, well, they need to be on this section here. Um, mm -hmm. So we'd reach out for them. Um, we then look at staying strong. Um, and this is every kind of strength: physical strength, uh, emotional strength, spiritual strength. Um, mm -hmm kind of strength of doing things together and they will be listed there um, and then finally we're action planning we have a right. couple of rules here no good intentions um, and no good ideas for other people to do you've got to own your own idea you've got to keep it specific so we spell out the ideas and we write the name of who is going to carry out the action very clearly next to the actions yeah and then we invite final reflections on the process which is a lovely, so it doesn't just fizzle out. We have people standing in a semicircle answering the question, well, what does the path mean to you? What does Sarah's path mean to you? Mm. Sarah gets the last word on it. Um, we all give Sarah a big clap, big thank you for Sarah. 
we roll up the, well there's obviously there's usually photographs taken maybe sarah and her team in front of the path and it's got a, it's got a lovely kind of rich ending to it really rather than the kind of meeting where people grumpily went off at different points um collecting their files with them this is the very opposite this is a, a celebratory ending um, mm. and, uh, and and i love that about it really so final words and photos and then a kind of dramatic rolling up of the path which is then presented to Sarah, you know, who then mm. with a big beaming smile takes it off home, and there's a real good chance she might stick it on her bedroom wall. Mm. So, done. how how big is this path then? Because obviously we see it on the screen. Yes. But how big is it? Can I show you? Well, there's Sarah next to it, so that gives ah. you an idea. That okay. Yes, large. Large. It's so large. It's a, it's a piece of wallpaper. It's well, it's kind of graphic paper actually. It's a bit slightly bigger than wallpaper. Um, okay. We've managed to source some good stuff um, in the UK that we kind of stock on our, on our website. So um, mm -hmm. but it took a bit of finding. For a while, we were importing it from the States. So it's you want it just about right, really. You don't want it. Wallpaper is just a fraction too small. Um, and flip charts where you're forever kind of matching it up into kind of. Yeah. People actually care. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, I mean, it's a really kind of beautifully, certainly more beautiful than the ones that I, I, I attempt to, to graphic. Um, mine are, are a little, um, I often don't have that wall spaced, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's say, but uh, I mean, it's something that you can do on a yeah. smaller scale. I mean, I, it's something I do do on a smaller scale, yeah, of course. Um, but it's certainly very powerful when it's done big like that. What I've found when I do do something, I usually do it on kind of um, flip chart paper and each flip chart paper is, is, is another bit of the path. Um, is, uh, uh, it'll always, it'll always resonate with me. I was doing a, uh, a path for my education psychology service in North Tyneside. We were talking about um, the team using narrative therapy yeah, yeah. Um, approaches more often as a team because that's something that we'd like to do. Yeah, I like that. Um, and we got to the to the action stage, um, and um, I just distinctly remember one of my colleagues saying, "Oh, we're going to actually have to do this now, aren't we? If <laughs> uh, it, it's feeling like I'm going to have to do something," uh -huh. I said, "Well, yeah, that that's that's the point." Um, and I, I, I'm I'm comfortable with that, you know. I, I think yeah. you know that's part of the uh, wonderfulness of the the um, EP role is that. It leads it leads to action, uh, which is meaningful for that for that young person. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that was a very uh, you you explained it far more concisely than than I would have, um, and that was really helpful and and a wonderful description and a really good example um, of that. So what okay. what is required then if somebody wants to hold a path planning session? What's required? So you need two people who can facilitate, always two people. Mm -hmm. um, it can never be one person trying to do this. You can imagine the situation if you try to do both, this, this kind of quality of graphicking and running mm -hmm. the process, it'll end in tears really. So you must have two people. One will graphic, one will look after the young person and the group. In other words, process facilitate. You need mm -hmm. your big piece of paper. You need your colored pens, your pastels. Um, yeah, uh, and yes, you need so you need the equipment basically. In terms of the room, you need some, enough wall space. You don't want tables; all the tables are going to be out of the way. Mm -hmm. You need people sitting as comfortably as possible in a, in a in a semicircle facing the paper. That's pretty much the uh, uh, the style of it. 
and um, and then in advance the young person is preparing um, and ideally they would send out an invitation to people they would like to attend it doesn't always work that way of course um, and the people who are going to be present um, go along the lines of the people who love the young person the people who really care about them their friends and and this kind of and then then the kind of wider group of people who might be in the young person's life and then finally the stakeholders the ones who can open doors who can really make things happen they'd be invited okay. along and you're going to allow a couple of hours at least a couple of hours um to, to run the process and um yeah off you go okay so is there any do, do you ever do any sort of priming in terms of explain to the young people or the people they've invited what sort of skills might require because you talked about real active listening before do you find it's just a process which facilitates that sort of um attitude and skill anyway yeah i mean it can be done with almost no preparation um mm. but with some people, young people obviously through their anxiety levels or whatever they need a bit of prep um so we would kind of brief the the kind of host of the path whoever that might be so maybe a special needs coordinator in the school you'd make sure they're really fluent so they're not just sending out kind of a, a blank letter that they're in a position that they can kind of prepare the young person prepare the parents for the kind of questions that might come up really so mm -hmm. and there's no, it doesn't seem to actually hurt if the young person is he's you know he spends a lot of time preparing these these what you know what lies in these questions um and for some young people who may be using communication devices again even more important that they have their their kind of answers kind of ready um, at least a starter mm -hmm. kind of answer for some of these some of the headings that doesn't seem to hurt either what we would tend to do as well when the young person comes in oft, often feeling very awkward especially if they haven't been allowed to bring their friends along friends can help that but if they are they're kind of on their own with family we'll probably pull them out very early on bring them up to the graphic and give them a little sneak preview of the steps that we're going to be going through and then yeah. them, let them back into the group they kind of seem to like that we've noticed over the years yes. so, um, and they get to, it's good for them to hear us kind of close to kind of, a sort of confidential little conversation before it begins yeah i mean that's that's what i've found when i've been facilitating is that um the, the young people, I kind of pitch it as an idea. So this is one way that we could look at this. Yes. And usually it's on a conversation about, you know, their perception of why I've been referred in. Mm. Um, and some and say, look, we could look at it in this way and we could talk about your goals, uh, your dream, your goals and, and all the other stages. And once those have been talked through and we could say, you know, I might say this sort of thing or this sort of thing. Yeah. They seem to think, yeah, I'll come to that meeting. That's a meeting I'll come to. Yes. And, and, and and often it's the first meeting they've been to about themselves, although they, they yeah. know that parents and teachers and other people have been meeting about, about them yes, in the true. past, but they find it quite, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, empowering. Yes. And what I really love about it is by starting off about talking about the dream and the kind of memories and then goals is, is that this is um, a very different way of facilitating meetings than you would might normally expect going yeah. into school. They're often there to talk about the problem and yeah. how the school is going to solve the problem. Yeah. But this is very different. So true. Uh, and, and I think it's, I, I, I think it's more hopeful. And I think that's the, one of the, the, the powers of it. Absolutely. I think some of them just seeing their own name on a big piece of paper in colour. And of course, we often check what their favourite colour is anyway. Even that mm. is a starting point. You've, you've kind of, 
and then there's a bit of fun around the props they seem to like that as well that kind of that kind of sort of set a good tone mm. um, but you're right to do something that genuinely with them um, they quickly get into predominantly quickly get into it even if they've got this history of very challenging behavior you know that's uh, surprising uh, the engagement i often show them photos of other people's paths as well on an ipad just kind of it's just an easy way mm. of showing them what they kind of look like as a way of kind of bringing it to life if i'm involved in the prepping but often i'm not i'm often that's somebody else doing that mm. Mm. so if you were going to give so if somebody's never done a path before yes is listening to this or watching this and thought hmm this sounds right up my street would you yeah. have this is gonna be a difficult a difficult question now do you have top like any like top three tips that you'd say about uh preparing or facilitating this well obviously get get some training you know get some training would be up there um, don't just try to go into it cold uh, or a minimum read the book about it <laughs> or you know go online and absolutely absorb you know so learn about it really that that'd be my first thing second respect the values this is all about inclusion that's what this process is for don't try and use it pointing in a more special direction or an out of school direction because i can imagine some schools will be quite happy about that <laughs> could you have a plan a path for getting rid of this child please well, that's yes. not what this is about. Yeah. You see, yeah. it's an inclusion tool. So absolutely respecting the value. Um, uh, by, then my next tips would be, in terms of facilitation, watching the time, um, mm. active, good, using, if you're running the process, and obviously, well, don't do it on your own, I suppose that's another top tip. Make sure somebody's running that graphic if you're working yeah. with a group. Um, watch the time, give your very best active listening really use you i mean i used to love you know all the carl rogers stuff you know about reflective listening well this is, it perfectly has its place here when you're looking after a, a group and around a young person it's reflective listening you reflect back as much as you can because it slows things down and the graphic gets to hear it a second time to graphic mm. um, so don't rush it allow yourself plenty of time especially for your first one um be absolutely tightly boundaried around which step you're doing at any one time. Because if you're not careful, people will go all over the place. And if yeah, you're a bit kind of worried about that, or you don't know how to interrupt them um, or facilitate that, you'll be in a mess very quickly. So you mm -hmm. must stick to the steps and go through them. But from then on, trust the process. You've got a structure there, stick to the structure. Do not kind of divert away from it, especially in your early ones. Stick to the structure. We're dreaming now. Now we're doing those memories. Now we're talking about the now and mm. so on stick to it and uh, would you um we talked about earlier about this is something that you'd accept in your own life is it something that you could do use as a reflective tool individually Absolutely. i mean it's something that i have done i yeah. have done that and that's helped me to understand it but this isn't just about the planning because it's got that action phase to it um, yes right tim i mean they're, they're lovely questions aren't they really mm. lovely questions yeah. for yourself as you say um, for any project, for, for any year ahead of you, um, absolutely very powerful questions. So you could you, you could do you could obviously you just you could do this great. You're doing Tim, as you describe. You do it for yourself. Um, you could do it with one other person you cared about. Um, but the potency, it seems to me, of when you do it with a group or a group surrounding you, you just go up to a whole other level. It seems to me, um, and and the stuff that will be said that you will never ever forget. Um, so I remember that my, when I had the part done with myself, so this is way, 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 way back. Um, mm. Yeah, very early 1990s. It was, <laughs> somebody came out with, you're like a dog with a bone. I was like, when they're staying strong, you're like a dog with a bone. To this day, I remember that. That really mm. stuck with me. I'm like this dog with a bone. And then we collectively include solutions. 
I think Jack actually facilitated, this is a few years on, back in maybe later on in the, later in the 90s, there was a little kind of bus that was going to travel around the world and it was the inclusion bus. And it was going to take us to all different places and I can still picture it now. So the power when it's done in a collective way around you, especially with people who care about you, you can't touch it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that you, you talk, we talked a little bit about the visualization element of it and it being visual. Yes. Do you want, like, it's kind of presupposed that that's powerful, but is there a psychology behind that? Is there, or is it just, it seems to, to, to work that way? Yeah, well, that's such an interesting question. Well, this is one of the reasons, as I say, I was kind of struck by it. You know, these, these weren't psychologists creating it, mm. but, but I think it is deeply psychological to visualise a dream, to visualise a future. Mm. Um, I mean, interesting, there's a whole, it turns out there's a, a whole sports psychology. They're all over this. Um, mm. And they work with kind of these top athletes, don't they, and top sports people to absolutely get their game down to the absolute. And how do they do it? They do it by visualizing. They say, mm. picture that golf swing, picture the ball going right super high there and dropping straight in the hole. I've talked to people who do it or have been on the receiving end of it. So how mm. interesting is that? You know, so there is something about picturing change um, and then it much more, it's much more likely to happen if you can picture it. There's also mm. interesting, which is, again, especially when we do big group uh, parts, I've noticed, somebody pictures one piece, but then somebody else pictures another piece, and then somebody else brings another piece, and, and you get this kind of gestalt, you know, the mm. old gestalt sort of psychology that it's bigger than the sum of the parts. You know, we've all got a little piece of it. And, and even if you do it around your person, they've got their own piece. Something with I want to do something with cars, you know, that's their piece of it. But then there's somebody else saying, I see you, I can see you, you're a worker as an electrician, I can see you with those are qualifications. You know, the other parts come in, I see you as very happy. I see you as a family man, you know, the, and these yeah. other pieces, the guest start, the visual guest sort of grows, and then you end up with something much, much bigger. Yeah. Because uh, Derek I work with, he always says, is this, I don't, I'm not sure if there's a Zen question or not, he says, but where was that vision before we start to do that dream? Because it was, it just seems to emerge and be often very, very connected. You think, well, where was it? Where? Yeah, individually in people's minds, but it was never out there in a collected way. Yeah, and I think there's a, I think there's an intuitive element to that, yes. which sometimes you know, that sometimes we can really think about rational solutions to things, but sometimes the the, the answer is in the intuitive vision. Yeah, um, and that, and that doesn't always sit, you know, particularly. <laughs> comfortably with I guess the way that things are taught in in, in school um, particularly if we're going from a very kind of solid national curriculum these are the things that we need to teach you and you need to yeah, yeah. imbibe them and then regurgitate them for an exam that's one element of schooling but I think another element of schooling is being able to understand that these are lessons that help you to work towards your vision um, and if we can bring the vision, the intuitive, emotional, yes. meaningful vision back into things, yeah, um, then we've got some, somewhat more of a holistic gestalt um, education system, which, which will be great. And I love it goes too. back to the yeah. systemic change through the individual change and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. But you also, as you speak, you're making me think about, I mean, this all this kind of dedication to evidence-based practice, which has kind of come into our profession big time, isn't it? Mm. For, for good reasons, you know, let's not just do things because they're the latest fashion. But I tell you what, some of the, the, the best pieces of psychology that I've embraced in my career 
have not come from psychologists, haven't come from evidence-based practice. Mm. Isn't that interesting? So like the path, you know, it was coming left field. Yeah. And it was almost, like you say, it, was in, it felt intuitively right long before I started putting the psychology into, mm. oh, I can see this, how this, like, same with restorative justice, that wasn't coming from yeah. psychologists, and yet it made intuitive sense. Exactly yeah. the same with Circle of Friends, it had exactly the right ingredients, made, to me it made brilliant sense. Um, how interesting. I mean, our Circle of Adults work, the kind of in-depth problem-solving process, I think mm. that perhaps did come more from psychology. But this... And it, it just came from other sources. And it just it's made me think, really, that maybe we as a profession, we really need to keep our ears and eyes open to other sources of inspiration for working around inclusion, for working around education, for working around individual mm. complex needs. Maybe we need to look to the, to the art, much more to the arts, much more to, you know, what's in poetry or in English or in, you know, uh, or in expressive, all the various expressive arts. I mean, mm. I've always loved drama and, I mean, I know there was psychodrama that came out of that, but, um, but there's, I always felt there's even more in drama for, for educators, if we, can, if we can really tap into it. Um, and you can use a certain amount within path and map processes. Mm. I feel there's more really in the, in the whole dramatic field than with them we've maybe fully made use of so i still think we need to be alert as a profession to these other sources of inspiration Absolutely. because who knows where it would take us potentially yeah and i think there's uh you know psychology and educate psychology can kind of draw upon scientific practitioner observational mm. rationalized kind of positivist yeah. ways of looking at things but I, but I was and drawn kind of social constructions, the kind of dialogic and how things are constructed between people. Yeah. But I, I felt with this, um, with path and with hope, really, it's about placing activity, you know, place, a purpose within an existential framework of you know, if we presume that everybody is projecting towards something. Yeah, yeah. Um, we we miss the projection if we just focus on what's observable in the everyday. Yeah, um, and we uh, we miss the projection if we focus on just how this young person has been thrown into their life. Yeah. Um, so placing it within the frame of they're projecting towards something they've been thrown into their everyday, and let's let's go back to you know what you're projecting towards and 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 for me that's like well you can. Um, I guess a more accessible term is what you're hoping to achieve in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then that's that's helpful. Yeah, no, absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yes. So that that's been a really helpful discussion. Uh, I'm wondering now whether it'd be possible to move on to how hope and path, yes. um, uh kind of intertwine. And yeah. I guess, like you were saying earlier, there's no kind of prescribe this is the psychology behind path because it wasn't necessarily psychologists who were designing it and then it's kind of on us to to place on it so i guess i got mildly obsessed with paths um, (laughs) in my first term on my second year placement and um i was thinking what is the psychology here um because i come in my first year i was a firebrand systemic change or, Mm. or or nothing else and found Mm, you can't really force that as an EP and you can't really force that generally. You can't do that to somebody. So what helps us do what helps us to place the individual within the system. So path seems to do that for me. And then I was really interested in the, the hope element of planning alternative tomorrows. That sounds great with hope. Okay. So what's the psychology of hope? 
So I've spent that's become my next obsession, really. Um, and my obsession, a fine obsession. Yes. Well, it's, it is a very nice obsession to have. Um, but I've been kind of thinking the last few weeks since I finished my thesis because I talked a lot about hope theory before, which is a, a cognitive, rational um, theory where Snyder talks about um, hope being your agency and pathway thinking towards towards a goal. Um, and that, that makes kind of everyday sense uh, in some way, but it does miss the intuitive sort of mm. existential element and also the the kind of um, eco ecological and relational element of things, which don't really sit that nicely with the role that uh, a path facilitator or an education psychologist could, could bring to something. So I was keen to um, think about hope in a kind of different way. Um, so I've, in the past couple of weeks, I've been thinking maybe there's five dimensions of hope. Um, that we could think about. So yeah. the first, the first dimension is the the intuitive feeling, the being able to um, envision a better future, and I think that that can act as the common ground between a lot of people because often every single person, I, I think, lots of people could envision something being better. Um, so there's that intuitive element. And until the 1990s, that's how hope was seen, um, just envisioning a better future. Yeah. And I've kind of read the history of why Snyder went and made a cognitive framework because he's like, his tutor said, we need to understand what people are thinking <laughs> when they're doing that. So he said, well, I'm just going to do that then. Uh -huh. um, so he went and he talked to participants in his studies and just say, what do you hope to achieve today? And they talked through having agency, having pathway thinking and having a goal. So that makes lots of sense. My argument is that you need to then reintroduce the intuitive element back to it. So you have an intuitive vision, then you have pathway and agency thinking towards a specified goal, and you've got a better cognitive theory of, of, of hope there, um, which then brings out the, the third dimension. So that would be the second dimension of it being a cognitive theory. The third dimension would be an ecological and relational idea. Um, so Victoria McGeer talks about being able to scaffold hope uh, and hope comes from scaffolding, uh, particularly which starts with parental scaffolding, then peer scaffolding. And then eventually, um, if you are a hopeful person as a, as an adult, then you've matured into a self scaffolder. Um, so that makes a lot of sense, um, to me. Um, and she talks about, um, then that relationship she defines what she says is good hope as um, having inter and intrapersonal um, features. So the intrapersonal is someone who's clear sighted and has an imaginative engagement with their reality. Um, and the, the inter, the relational element of it is that you have people around you who are supportive. So that uh, who are supportive and help you define those goals and don't do it for you. So that fits with the the bit of the path, I guess, where you're talking about who do I want on my journey with me? Is it, you'd identify those, those sort of people. people. Yes, yes. Um, then the, the fourth dimension is hope that sort of um, Snow argues in 2015 about hope being a, a, a virtue, a character virtue. Mm. 
uh, and something that drives somebody's passion for learning. Um, and this kind of kind of makes reference to Ericsson, who argues in psychosocial development theory that, um, you know, hope is the ontogenetic basis of faith. So your experience of um, be, be, having your, your needs met by your primary carer helps you, you know, figure out whether you can trust people and whether you can be a hopeful person. Mm. Um, which, is, which is interesting itself. But the idea of it being a virtue um, suggests that it's both um, something that's good for the individual, but it's encouraged by the, the society around that individual. And then I'd say the fifth dimension is the tran what I call kind of transcendent hope. So it's about being able to envision a better future and by your actions over time, incrementally work towards transcending your current situation, which is, I guess, the dream section mm. of where you might be and to some extent the kind of the, the, the year's goal. Yes. Um, so for me, PATH helps to encourage all of those five dimensions of hope. That's a lot of theory <laughs> and not a lot of time. So would you have any thoughts about that? <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't stick on just Snyder. That was good. <laughs> yeah. There was more to it than just the cognitive. And I love it that you've ended up on the transcendent. Because um, mm. I've always thought you just keep the lid as wide as we possibly can do, really. And, and, and don't ever try and restrain or constrain. Um, and kind of really listen for, the, for absolutely everything that's possible. And to, to really be kind of nurturing and... and in that hopeful thinking, in that really kind of wanting more, wishing for more kind of peace, which did come through on one of those theory pieces, didn't it really? Mm -hmm. um, I certainly think there's also sort of a, I don't know there's a creative hope, if that's, if that's even a thing, but mm -hmm. there's something about trying to be very creative in your possible, what, what it could be, that I think sometimes that's kind of, that's one word I think I might be using additionally. And then there's also almost a spiritual hope as well, as mm -hmm beyond the world, beyond worldly, really, that, that takes people to a deeper place as well. And some people will definitely want to go there when, you, when you're dreaming with them. So I think kind yeah. of having the possibility of that, almost the mystical side of things, really, um, however that might be, however that might be expressed, I think all that's hope as well. Mm. Um, just trying mm. to think, but, but, the, but you've got a lot of words there in those five dimensions. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of words. A lot of words there. A lot of good stuff to try and kind of crunch it down yeah absolutely um, I, I think it's again you're into this kind of what does hope mean to you piece aren't you really and what does it mean to mm. i mean we've done these these paths with many parents uh, around the uk in parents forums and and off and, and other places as well or with families and they nearly always feedback what that brought me was hope that's the very word they use when mm. all i usually see in, in the special needs world is battles this is hope. This is the very, very kind of opposite of the battle, really. So it's yes. the opposite of that. Whatever the opposite of a battle is, that's what is kind of what they're giving, really, isn't it? The, Absolutely. It feels to me we're flowing in the same direction. We're all, rather, we're all kind of all together here, flowing rather than crunching into each other, really. Um, yeah. That's a yeah. beautiful thing, isn't it? And yeah, know, absolutely. And I don't know whether, you know, this, I don't know where this came from, this metaphor of looking across the water at the shining lights. Well, I kind of do know where it came from, as I mentioned earlier on, from the, those two sources. But there's something about that, that kind of absolutely, or, you know, letting it come out from wherever it's coming from, really. Mm. The soul, the head, the mind, the interpersonal, who knows where it comes from. 
and then allowing it to kind of be come through. And then as a facilitator, you're almost the conduit of hope. You know, it's coming through you, you're reflecting about, you're strengthening it where you can, and then the graphic is kind of recording it. And that's, and that's a beautiful piece when it happens, you know, really. Um, there's a Scottish facilitator. She talks about you can hear the, you can almost feel the angels coming in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Say, but I kind of know what she means because it's you kind of go to the, this deeper level, and people are like, Where did that come from? You know, that mm. and the power of where we'd be drawn to in that future is, is well, it's transcendent to use that, that, that word you use at the end there. It's beautiful, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, this is what I found with uh, what last year I was playing with, 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 with hope as sort of kind of the, the cornerstone of almost everything that I did. Um, and I was writing my educational healthcare advices under the headings. So I do the, 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 the I facilitate the meetings and then write, this is, this is the, the parent and the young persons and the people around them. That, this is their dream. Perfect. Um, so, so it's not just about uh, capacity and provision yeah. and outcomes. This is something really profound and hopeful to do for some, somebody. And that's, that certainly changed my relationship with that advice writing procedure it's not something i do absolutely every single time but when i've got the time and it and it and it's appropriate that's what i'll try and write as as my advice and you can put lots of different um you know psychological assessment or observation in different elements of it but just to just say this is the dream these are the goals that they like to work towards in the next year that fits wonderfully with beautiful uh, yeah how those young people and the family see their life but it also fits wonderfully with plan do review um so there's a pragmatism to that as well so i found it really a really helpful tool not just for facilitating and consultation but also a thinking tool for myself and and to advocate for this kind of sense of meaning in life for for young people and their families that's that, that's really interesting that Tim actually because we because you know similarly we get to do um you know assessments and reports as well and um the we we kind of drew we've drawn upon the kind of that broader set of person-centered values that kind of John O'Brien those service accomplishments list and try to expand those a bit so uh we've added stuff like um where's the young person's contribution where do they get to contribute what capacity are they bringing what are their gifts and capacities trying to kind of listing mm. those and almost trying to list those as strongly as we're listing the child's difficulties um trying to say where do they get to be generous where do they get to help looking for opportunities for, for them to be able to give um so trying to create almost like a port obviously their dreams their aspirations where they want to be um, who's who's really important in their lives around friendship and, and relationship pieces so we we got the notion again it was john, dear old john o'brien who's still around knocking out great ideas every year but one of his ideas was the art of portraiture so when we come to write a report um or persons had a plan it should be more like a portrait than mm. it should be of like some sort of medical model detailing of what the young person can't can and can't do um, and if you take that, you really push that in your head. It's, it's surprising where you can take it, actually. So you were trying to create a portrait here. Um, I don't intimately know Tim Cox, but, you know, I kind of do know about asking good questions. And I'm very good at listening to other people as they d intimately describe Tim. Now mm. that helps me to kind of start to paint him. You know, it's a very rich metaphor. Very rich. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um that metaphor would have sat way more comfortably with me coming into the course 
yeah, I bet. Than trying to to compete with a kind of more medical model of yes. of doing things, which is has its place in its time, but just to draw upon perhaps my strengths at the time, which were listening, thinking, metaphor, uh, and that sort of thing. I think maybe that's why path has kind of presented Wait. itself to me, <laughs> and, and why I stick with it. I mean, we haven't really spoken much about the non-medical model versus the medical model, but this is very non-medical model, isn't it? As you can see, it, is, yeah. it could be further away from talking about what is wrong with the child. I mean, I mean that question doesn't come up. It just, whatever do is it crops up, it doesn't feature. I mean, there may be some reference to it in what's going on right now, if it's significantly impacting on what's going on. It's honest talk about that, but, but generally we're not spending a lot of time on the what's wrong with the child, what's the diagnosis, what needs to be fixed, what's the mm. treatment, what's the cure, all the stuff we know we get we get haunted by in the special needs world. This is so it's so interesting. Our aspiration when we're using person centered planning is a good life for the young person. Yes. Or a good life with the team. Not how do we meet all their special educational needs in a big long list. That's a whole mm. other activity. So Again, I found that so refreshing not to be thinking about those individual needs, but much more thinking about a coherent, connected, full, rich life for a young person. Yes, that's something we want to be spending our time doing. And I'm sure many in the profession do as well. And we've Mm. got skills. We've got facilitation skills, majority of us. Um, We can do this stuff. We're great listeners by and large. Mm. So it's using that. Yeah, I think um like what you know that's making you know roger says the good life is direction not a not not an outcome yeah, and we're direction. you know we are often put pushed by our uh you know the the systems that we work with to come up with our outcomes but mm-hmm. saying the direction is is as important and i see what the path does is it sets out the the outcome that that young person wants in their life and galvanizes the professionals who are working with them. I may have a medical model and stuff, well, it make, but it makes it meaningful to their life rather than it's something that's happening to them. And then eventually someone's going to decide where they're going to go to school yeah, or exactly. uh, what provision is best for them. Yeah. So true. Absolutely. But yeah. Yes. Um, but yes. Okay. Um, so we're kind of rushing up on, we said we'd spend together. I don't want to leave this without um, asking you where you think people could go away. Is there any specific uh, books or resources that you think that they should um, read or, or watch or something like that? Um, well, we've got a ton of good stuff on the Inclusive Solutions mm. website, which you probably guess I'm going to say. Um, there was a, there's a, the go-to book I think for Ed Sykes, and uh, you know, if you don't mind me modestly putting this forward, is it is Persons Out of Planning Together? Because I wrote it with Derek Wilson and Claire Darwin, who's the principal mm. in, in uh, Suffolk. So it is written by three practicing Ed Sykes who've been okay. using work a lot. So, and it's it's got pictures. It's very step by step. So I would mm. certainly say. That's, that's your read, really. It's, it's okay. your read. Get, get where our, is that available? You can get it off our store, off, off the Inclusive Solutions website. Okay. And, um, so that's definitely worth a look. We've also got um, an online... We've been using lockdown to put some of our training online and mm. created um, an Inclusive Solutions school, which, again, you can find off the back of the website. It will, kind of, it will take you there. So we've got a, a kind of full self-study course on PATH. Um, which people can take there or the map process or akin processes like graphicking, inclusion, mm. other other things that kind of go along with person-centered planning. Um, so that's there. That's worth worth having. There's also kind of shorter videos, which are kind of like step-by-step videos. Again, you can get them off the site. If you just look for where it says person-centered planning, 
and then follow the links to path it will take you deeper down and there's some okay. events of online resources that are not with the book that you kind of go with the book that are quite useful to feel as well okay okay unashamed marketing sorry tim that's 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 absolutely fine. i mean that's where the stuff is though isn't it um and you know i was just presented with with the framework and and read about it from from there so um that's really helpful to know uh how to 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 short circuit that particular yes, um exactly. thing but it's it's certainly worth worth kind of reading about and, and learning more about and trying with yeah. yourself that was my first book call absolutely um so would you so do you have any kind of concluding remarks we've had quite a long conversation it's been a bit of a jazz conversation um works for me yeah <laughs> well i would just really encourage people that, that we need and as a profession um and other people listening as well you know who are interested in what happens to children young people with complex needs i think we have to really get person-centered root and branch everything we're doing for young people mm. let's keep them included let's really really put all our time and money and resources and creativity into making that meaningful um, and then make it truly person-centered so the young people are incredibly comfortable and we work very hard on making them very very comfortable in their settings um, and we plan long term from the very for every point of transition we do some person-centered planning so the moment they come in and they're approaching school we do a path um, as they move from infants to, to junior or key stage one to key stage two, we do it um, into secondary, into FE, into wider, into wider life. And we use the map as well as the, as the, the path processes and other processes. We use problems, rich problem solving processes like circle of adults, um, like solution circles, anything that really helps the team get creative, especially when it's hard around behavior and, and, and challenging mm -hmm. stuff. We really get, use our best creativity um, and that we really do work together. We need to find processes. Maybe we need more processes. Maybe we're going to get even more creative to get ways of bringing people together, family, people, professionals together to absolutely figure out how we're going. So we get this smooth push into the future. And obviously we need some radical changes to the, to the law. We've got, we've got professionals bogged down so much of their time bogged up in this hamster wheel of mm. statutory assessments, really wasting a lot of time and money, creating massively more bureaucracy than we've ever needed. Why don't we strip it right back to some person-centered plan? Wouldn't that be great? Um, mm. And the person-centered plan can be supported with funding to make it be followed through, you know, mm. It's not rocket science really but when people are exposed to these ideas they love them and there were opportunities when we had that more recent review of the legislation let's hope they have another look now um, because i think we really need that so i look forward to, to a really kind of an inclusive future maybe not in my lifetime mm. maybe in, in future generations where we figure this out we don't need to segregate segregate we don't need these separate settings which are totally um, well over represented of course from mm. from the bma B-A-M-E, young people, of course, totally overrepresented. Racism is still rife in our system, as, we, as we're kind of currently thinking mm. about a lot, of course. Um, um, and uh, I think, yeah, we, we've got to push through all of this, really. We've got to be more inclusive in our, in our mindset. And we're a long way from that. This kind of balance, well, we take a continuum approach. We take a balanced view on what we're doing for young mm. people. That isn't going to work. It's, it was never an even playing field from, the, from birth for those children who, mm -hmm. who were born to say, well, it was never an even playing, playing field. They get those messages about their differences really, really early doors. They need counter voices very, very early in those early years as mm -hmm. well. So we need to plan it from the early years right the way through into, into adult life, a smooth journey. Um, 
an inclusive journey you know, when we're walking yes. with people supporting them including them relating to them yeah and uh, yeah if all that's possible i shall rest happy <laughs> yes well i think there's hope i think there's hope and there's hope uh, and, and 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 i think hope is a is a language which goes beyond uh, capacity and and uh, bureaucracy um because i think it's powerful in people's lives and i think that you know, I'm very excited to talk to you today and I'm reaffirmed that, you know, planning alternative tomorrow's with hope is, is hopes in the name, hopes in the values and hopes in the future of it. Um, so thanks very much for um, talking to me and um, enlightening me to uh, even more the possibilities that um, are available with facilitating the past and the history and values that are behind it. That's been really helpful. So thank you. So can I, can I thank you, Tim? You know, you've, you've really encouraged, you've brought the best out of me. You know, okay, like well, the greatest psychologists bring the best out. You have managed that, Tim. So I, I give try. you hope in your future career, <laughs> wherever, <laughs> wherever your road travels. So, so thank you very much for that. God bless you and all that is listening. <laughs>